a 32-year-old woman is wheeled into the holding area for surgery. She is to go in for a routine appendectomy to remove her appendix. But this time, it's not so routine. She is 24 weeks pregnant. Nervously, she wonders, what's going to happen to my baby? Is anesthesia going to harm him? What will I do after the surgery for pain? Can I even take pain medications? Will I be okay? And will my baby be okay? Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome back to another episode of The Hurt. Today, we're going to answer all of the questions that you may have about anesthesia and pain medication, but as it relates to pregnancy and breastfeeding. So what if you need surgery when you're pregnant? What if you need pain medications during pregnancy? And can you take pain medications when you're breastfeeding? We're going to talk about this and much, much more. And before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about why we're doing this episode and really today's podcast in general. Dr. K, do you want to talk about that book that you had the privilege to examine recently? Yes. So I recently had the chance to hold and flip through a rare copy of a book from 1885. So this book is called Tocology, a book for every woman written by Alice Bunker Stockham, who actually was the fifth ever female physician in the United States. Now, the word tacology refers to the study of childbirth, midwifery, and obstetrics. So Dr. Stockham was an OB-GYN in the late 1800s that wrote this book to empower women to understand their own bodies and to take charge of their own health care. It's one of the first books of its kind to even exist really one of the first movements of its kind to empower women of all socioeconomic backgrounds. It covered so many issues that women dealt with, including anatomy and physiology of females, pain during childbirth, diseases of pregnancy, postpartum issues, diseases of infants and how to treat them, and even good sex to strengthen marital bonds. So Dr. Stockham's entire platform was built around allowing women access to information to education, really, that would transform them from seeing themselves as weak or frail to strong and powerful. Now, as these topics were all considered extremely taboo for their time, and speaking of female issues was considered obscene under law, Dr. Stockham was even arrested and put in jail for distributing her book. But this didn't stop her. She kept persevering and distributed thousands of copies of her book and even offered free gynecological exams to women. So honestly, reading through this book and reading about Dr. Stockham just really spoke to me because I feel like this is exactly what we're trying to do here. Spread awareness and empower women about their own healthcare. I completely agree. And for us now, speaking about women's health issues, even subjects that are still considered taboo, isn't going to land us in jail. So much has changed for the better since the late 1800s in terms of women's health, but there's still so much more that needs to change. And the first step to that is empowering women to understand their own bodies. 
So let's get started. So many women are understandably nervous about having surgery while pregnant or breastfeeding due to concerns about the baby. So what we're here to do is to really break this down for you and answer those questions so you can hopefully just be a little bit more at ease. So let's start with the medications while pregnant and breastfeeding, since this will be the most common situation our listeners will encounter. And breastfeeding is a challenging journey, to say the least. Having been through it myself, I know how emotional it can be. And to have to think about the medications associated with the anesthesia or for pain, this can also be a challenging aspect of the breastfeeding journey. And also if you're exclusively pumping. And oh goodness, the concept of pump and dump It is so hard for any lactating mother to even think about throwing away her breast milk. So I hope today we can give you some valuable information to empower you to make informed decisions for yourself. So let's discuss some common pain medications in the setting of pregnancy and breastfeeding. So the FDA, or the Food and Drug Administration, has stated that 50% of pregnant women reported using at least one medication during their pregnancy. And in fact, the first trimester use of medications has increased by 60% in the last few years. And the number of pregnant women using four or more medications in the first trimester has tripled, which was previously about 10% and now is about 30%. So let's talk about how the FDA classifies the safety of medications. The FDA actually uses a category based on classes of medications. So A through D and then X, with A being the safest and D with known risks to the fetus, but can be prescribed based on weighing the risks and benefits. And category X medications should absolutely not be prescribed in pregnant women. Right, but something a little different happened in 2014. So in 2014, the FDA released the PLLR, which is the Pregnancy Lactation Labeling Rule, which was meant to increase the safety and effectiveness of prescription drugs by making the drug labels easier to understand. So they basically took out the complicated letter system here and instead just talked about each medication in terms of three categories, risk during pregnancy, risk during lactation, in other words, transfer of the medication through the breast milk, and risk for men and women of reproductive potential. So all medications that were released before 2014 would still retain the category A through X rating system but any new medications from 2015 onwards would no longer be rated with letters, but instead be described by the pregnancy lactation labeling rule. Right, which makes it easier for patients and providers both to understand what medications are safe to use. So it's interesting when you try to look up a medication, because if it does go by the older system, you get a letter, but if it goes by the newer system, you get more of a description. So let's go through some of the common pain medications and discuss them in terms of pregnancy and breastfeeding. Let's start with acetaminophen, or better known as Tylenol. So acetaminophen, which is a very commonly used pain medication, is a safe category B medication. It is also a safe medication for breastfeeding. And this is likely what is going to be recommended for you in pain during pregnancy, as well as during breastfeeding. As long as there are no other reasons that you should not take it, such as an allergy or liver problems. So let's jump into NSAIDs. So these are basically the anti-inflammatory class of medications. So medications like ibuprofen, naproxen, meloxicam, or brand names that you might be familiar with like Aleve, Advil, and more. These are mostly safe for pregnant women in the first trimester 
typically category B, but are contraindicated in pregnant women in the third trimester. Now, the reason for this is that in the third trimester, there are heart-related risks associated with the fetus. So for breastfeeding, NSAIDs vary in terms of safety, but majority of them are quite safe. Now, they vary by each individual medication, so definitely ask your physician which is safe to take because there are so many different types of NSAIDs. And another medication that's growing in use in pregnant and breastfeeding patients are opioids. So opioids are a controversial topic that have been talked about extensively in the news due to their potential for addiction, as well as for side effects like sedation, breathing issues, and even death. And there are multiple considerations to note with pregnancy and breastfeeding with chronic opioid use. So chronic meaning that you're using it for a longer period of time. So with pregnancy, there is a risk of neonatal opioid withdrawal symptom, which is a withdrawal in the baby with symptoms like irritability, seizures, vomiting, diarrhea, and poor feeding. There is also potential for birth defects, as well as potential for a miscarriage or a preterm delivery. However, this does not mean that you should immediately just stop taking any opioid medications because they may be used for certain medical necessities. And this is absolutely something that you should be discussing with your doctor on a case-by-case basis for the risks versus the benefits of opioid therapy. So this is clearly very concerning as pregnancy does pose greater challenges due to limitations in pain medications, but it also increases pain due to the stress placed on the body during pregnancy. And going back for a moment to the different opioid medications, generally speaking, in low doses and infrequent use, the medications like morphine, oxycodone, including the brand name Percocet, for example, or hydromorphone, the brand name Dilaudid, fentanyl, etc., they're relatively safe during pregnancy with the importance of having to weigh out risk versus benefit in relation to dose and duration of the opioid therapy, as they are Category C medications. Now, as far as breastfeeding goes, most opioids are safe for lactation. However, there are two opioids that need to be mentioned as they are not safe for lactation, tramadol and codeine. There is a high concentration of these medications that can gather in breast milk of mom because of how they're metabolized by the body so should be avoided in breastfeeding moms. Yep, and keeping mom and baby as safe as possible is always the goal. And other medications that may be prescribed for pain-related issues include muscle relaxants and nerve medications. Muscle relaxants are such a huge category of medications, and there are so many medications that are listed as muscle relaxants, even though they work all completely differently. So this is something that definitely needs to be discussed on a case-by-case basis with your doctor as well. And the same goes for nerve medications like gabapentin or pregabalin, as well as antidepressants. Much of this really depends on the exact medication that's being used, the length of time that it's being used for, what it's being used for, as well as the dose of the medication, which is why we really do continue to say consult with your doctor. Now let's talk about steroids. So steroids are used commonly to decrease inflammation, but there's a lot of variability with steroids when it comes to side effects due to dose, duration of being on steroids, and the type of steroid. So early studies in the fetus showed that chronic steroid use can cause cleft lip and cleft palate in the newborn, and topical steroids can cause preterm birth and low birth weight in the newborn. However, 
and this is a big caveat, this has not been proven in further studies. And in fact, further studies from 2011 and onwards showed that steroids did not cause cleft lip or palate, nor did topical steroids cause preterm birth, low birth weight, or any other adverse outcomes in the fetus. And in moms, steroids can cause gestational diabetes, which is high blood sugar during pregnancy, and sometimes preeclampsia, which is a pregnancy-related condition characterized by high blood pressure and organ damage. And with breastfeeding as well, most steroids are safe, but it's really best to speak to your physician for the nuances of breastfeeding. Okay, so now let's talk about breastfeeding and anesthesia. Most anesthetic medications are completely safe because they're cleared so quickly from your breast milk, almost instantly actually, or within a few hours. And there are actually only a few medications used in anesthesia that may take a little bit longer to clear, namely morphine and nitrous oxide. However, and this is the most important takeaway note, the American Society of Anesthesiology does not recommend pumping and dumping. So pump and dump was actually an old school thought. And now with new information that we have, it's actually no longer recommended. Looking at relative infant dose or the RID to assess neonatal drug exposure, medications that had RID levels less than 10% were considered to be fairly safe. And most anesthetic agents are significantly less than 10%, except for morphine, which is 9%. So even though that is still less than 10%, I do want to mention some of the statements placed by the American Society of Anesthesiologists, which I think summed this up pretty well. Quote, because pain interferes with successful breastfeeding, women should not avoid pain medications after surgery. Despite an excellent safety record, breastfeeding women who require narcotic pain medications should always watch the baby closely for signs of sedation, difficult to wake, and or slowed breathing. Patients should resume breastfeeding as soon as possible after surgery because anesthetic drugs appear in such low levels in breast milk. It is not recommended that patients pump and dump, end quote. And we know that many factors can affect milk production, including pain. So if you need to take pain medications after surgery while you're breastfeeding, most of the medications, including the ones that we mentioned, are fairly safe. So mom, you know your body best and do what's right for you. Okay, so we spoke about common pain medications and their use in pregnancy and breastfeeding, but let's shift gears and talk about anesthesia while pregnant. Now this is fairly uncommon, but we want to include it in this podcast to educate women who may be interested, but also educate women in the event that they do need surgery. So we hope this is helpful. So like Dr. K said, having non-obstetric surgery or surgery during pregnancy for non-fetus-related issues is actually very uncommon. The rate of non-obstetric surgery is only 1% to 2%, and that is because we want to delay the surgery, and ideally until the postpartum period or after you've given birth. So when surgeries do happen while pregnant, and they're usually urgent or emergent surgeries at this point, they're most common in the first trimester and less common in the third trimester. The most common surgery during pregnancy is an appendectomy or the removal of the appendix. And the second most common is cholecystectomy, which is the removal of the gallbladder, which is an organ in the belly. Right. And those surgeries and some other urgent or emergent surgeries can't be avoided. But if possible, 
Surgery should absolutely be delayed until ideally six weeks postpartum. However, if you do need to have surgery, the ideal time is the second trimester. So that's week 13 to the end of week 26 in terms of the time period of pregnancy. Now we avoid the first trimester due to about a very small increased risk of spontaneous abortion, which is pregnancy loss during the first 20 weeks. And that happens due to the stress on the body and the changes to the vital signs that can happen with surgery and anesthesia. We also try to avoid the third trimester because with the uterus being so enlarged, it can be more technically challenging for the surgeon to perform the surgery, particularly if it's in the belly, which can increase the risk of complications. Now let's talk about some of those risks of anesthesia with pregnancy and what we do to minimize those risks. So there are several concerns with surgery and anesthesia while pregnant. One, a higher risk for blood clots. So the clotting factors increase during pregnancy, increasing the risk of not only developing a blood clot, but also the blood clot potentially traveling to the lung. This is called a pulmonary embolus. Something to remember is that blood clots are a general risk during pregnancy, and statistics vary from about 1 in 500 to about 1 in 2,000 pregnancies. Surgery may actually slightly increase the risk as well since you're not going to be moving around, and this can also decrease your blood circulation. So we do try to minimize this risk overall by placing squeezing boots on your legs during surgery, which continuously keep that blood flowing so clots don't form. And then after surgery, you may receive a blood thinner for the same reason. And another concern is also for spontaneous abortion, which, like we mentioned earlier, is loss of pregnancy before 20 weeks or miscarriage, which is loss of pregnancy after 20 weeks, or preterm labor, which is the body going into labor before 37 weeks. So all things considered, your vital signs change with the stress of surgery and being under anesthesia, and this can cause distress to the baby. And like we said earlier, that's why we really do try to wait until the postpartum period. Absolutely. But there are ways in which we do monitor the baby. So once the fetus is considered viable, which is after 24 weeks of pregnancy, which by the way is a major milestone after which a preterm baby may survive with medical interventions outside the womb. So after viability, there is coordination between the obstetric team, the surgery team, the anesthesia team, basically to monitor the baby's heart rate. This way, we can make active adjustments to our medications based on how the baby is responding, or in the worst case scenario, deliver the baby if he or she isn't doing well. But I want to emphasize that this is rare. And another concern that we should also talk about is aspiration. So this is when food or liquid that is in the stomach comes up and goes into the lungs, where it can cause damage or an infection. Pregnant women actually have an increase in abdominal pressure, as expected, due to the baby, and a decrease in the tone of the sphincters of the esophagus. And this is why pregnant women have so much heartburn. I know I sure did. And because of these changes in the body and that added risk of aspiration, we do perform several maneuvers to protect you. And for one, we may give you medication in the holding area called Bicitra, which you may remember if you've had surgery before. And it's this sweet and sour sort of tasting medication that will help decrease the acid in your stomach. So if the stomach contents do come up and go into the lungs, they won't be as acidic and harmful. And we may also apply gentle pressure to your neck as you go off to sleep. This is called cricoid pressure, 
which is essentially to compress the esophagus and make sure that anything that might be potentially able to come up doesn't have as much of an opportunity to come up essentially. And overall, even though the risks are low, as anesthesiologists, we really do ensure that you and your baby are safe and protected throughout the case. And that's a great summary. I want to mention that the majority of the anesthetic medications are proven to be safe for mom and the fetus, and we simply avoid giving you any medication that may not be safe. With that in mind, I'll mention a few common ones you may encounter. So the common medications like propofol, opioid medications, most anesthetic medications you breathe in, those are all safe. One possible medication with adverse effects is nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas. Now you might be thinking, I thought nitrous oxide can be used to ease the pain of labor. And you're right, but that's in the third trimester. Nitrous oxide is avoided in the first trimester as it can lead to issues with DNA synthesis. In other words, the baby forming properly. Another group of medications we usually avoid are benzodiazepines, which you might more commonly know from brand names like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin. So in small amounts, they are safe. But if used regularly, they can cause birth defects. And that pretty much sums up any pain medications during pregnancy and breastfeeding, including medications used for anesthesia. And before we end, I do want to mention that there are tons of breastfeeding support groups on Instagram, Facebook, and other websites. And they were all a great source of information for me when I was breastfeeding and pumping. But there's also a lot of information about breastfeeding on most professional medical societies in terms of guidelines and suggestions. So please do look there as well. We hope this information is helpful for you in terms of our specialty of pain medicine and anesthesiology. So all in all, most anesthetic agents are safe for breastfeeding moms. And as far as pain medications go, most pain medications are also safe in breastfeeding moms. And moms, you should not avoid pain medication after surgery if you're in pain, like we talked about earlier. And you definitely do not need to pump and dump for most medications. But if you have any concerns, it's best to talk to your physician. We really hope that this podcast was helpful for all of you and overall that you feel a little bit more reassured and informed. And then join us again next week for another episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at thefemalepaindocs for more content. Send us an email at thefemalepaindocs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.